Amen. You can grab a seat. So glad you're with us this morning. Today we're going to be in Psalm 23. Uh, 23. The 23rd Psalm is how you always hear it said. I got mixed up. Psalm 23. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up by just letting them sort of fall in half. They'll be in the Psalms there. You may have heard of Psalm 23. Uh, people today maybe don't know about these like big famous verses in the same way they once uh, did, but Psalm 23 is one that's very famous, very popular, very popular with the crochet pillow crowd, uh, also very popular with the tattoo crowd. You generally don't see those people coming together, but they do over Psalm 23, very, uh, very loved, famous passage. And what I want to do first, before we do anything else, is just read it. We have never preached on it here at Hope Church, but as we're going through the Psalms, I just, I want to call your attention to it, because it's only six verses. But if you would take the time to put these six verses in your heart, to memorize them, even if you don't know what they mean, just to put them in your heart. They would be for you what they have been for saints, people, for millennia. A light in the darkest place. Encouragement in the hardest moments. It's just, it's sweet stuff. Sometimes passages of scripture are popular for maybe not a great reason. We're going to talk about one of those later in the sermon. And then sometimes they're popular for a great reason. Not that we're going to say Scripture's bad. I just mean sometimes people interpret Scripture the way that they want to, and then it gains all this uh, celebrity. But, but Psalm 23 is famous on purpose. So let's read it together, and then we're going to dig into it. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Alright, have you heard that one before? Maybe so? Yeah, at least you've heard parts of it. Uh, It was very famously read as part of President Bush's speech following the attacks in 9-11. Put to music by very fancy people like Bach or Bernstein or Schubert. Apparently only Germans make classical music. (laughs) If you're familiar with Amish Paradise by Weird Al, that was based on Gangster's Paradise by Coolio. Not familiar with the Coolio version, but I'm well acquainted with the Weird Al version. Uh, The Coolio, you have to go back to the Coolio version. That also quotes Psalm 23. But it's used constantly, and and especially in popular culture, because it does such a good job of meeting us in despair. The words of comfort and the stunning imagery of Psalm 23 explodes. It creates pictures in your brain that you can't get away from. And it does it in a way. It meets you in a place 
where you really need it. And I think as I've tried to memorize this psalm and put it in my heart and study it for myself, not just for preaching it, but over the last several months and years trying to just have it be there for me, I don't think I understood just how far this psalm goes. If you just scratch it on the surface, you don't really catch the meaning of it. So let's dig into it. I think first, what people do find, and it's certainly on offer here, is comfort. And it's just all over the first several verses. Look at, let's look at verse 1. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. When you're reading through scripture, don't jump over this stuff. Allow it to soak in. The Lord is your shepherd. Many of us are not acquainted with shepherds. Not only are we not shepherds, I don't think any of you even know a shepherd. I was waiting for somebody to be like, well, I kind of... No, you know, nobody knows even a shepherd. You never even met a shepherd. I mean, maybe you have. They weren't carrying a crook or whatever. But, like, we don't really know what that's like. But we can understand the imagery, the idea of one who is protecting, the idea of one whose job is the comfort and security and provision of, of sheep, Mostly is what I think of. I think that's definitely the image biblically. The Lord is going to give to us perfect guidance. That's what a shepherd does. He's leading these sheep around. Giving them perfect guidance. You can allow your anxiety to just melt away. The Lord is your guidance. The Lord is your protection. See, David wrote this psalm, King David from the Old Testament. He himself was a shepherd before he became king. And he understood that as a shepherd, it was your job to protect the sheep. If you're a good, if you're a good shepherd, now I, I, he protected his sheep from, uh, it says specifically, a lion and a bear. And I don't know how many sheep lions and bears eat, but if it was just one, I mean, wouldn't you just like push out one sheep and then try to get the rest of them back? <laughs> That would be my course. But David attacked and killed the lions and the bears. Because the job of the shepherd is to protect. Do you trust that the Lord will be your protection? That's what he is offering to be to you. And it says specifically that the Lord is your shepherd. So you have the picture of a shepherd that you can let fill in with all the different roles of a shepherd, but understand that it is the Lord that's your shepherd. The Lord, meaning that his protection will rest on his strength. It's not just my ability to fill in the blank, but his ability. Well, now if it's his ability we're talking about, then of course his strength will never end. I think about it every time we go on a walk, some kind of hike, because the canyons always have these giant boulders that have rolled down and are laying at some place in the valley. You see them, they're bigger than your car. And I just think about the strong men who pick up the Atlas stones and put them on the... You could see it at like 3 a.m. on ESPN2 when I was growing up. It was always, for some reason, that was always when the strongman competition was on. But they would pick up these Atlas stones. They're concrete stones and they're gigantic. And who, who could even lift one? And these guys have to use their big bellies and they pick them up and they put them on the plinth. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Google it. It's worth your afternoon. Uh, they, these concrete stones. And here are the strongest men in the world picking up these stones that are what? 
They're just little crumbs compared to these boulders, which are just little crumbs compared to these mountains. And the Psalms say that the mountains will melt like wax at his coming. (laughs) What is the limit of his strength? What is the limit of his capacity to protect you? Think about his wisdom. He has the ability to determine your security. I think about myself as a dad. It's my job to provide this sort of shepherd role to my family in our little house. And we have very distinct legally uh, determined bounds, which is our property. And on that admittedly not very large property, I am still completely overmatched. I can't get the grass to grow where I want it to. It grows in other places where I don't want it to. I spent almost all day yesterday cleaning out a small shed that we have. And I think all I did was relocate the spiders for a little bit. I think they're already back. They're already reclaiming. They didn't work very well. Uh, I came outside one day last month. And as we're getting into the van to take my daughter to school, she noticed there was a bunch of paper on the ground near my Jeep. Somebody had broken into the Jeep. Now, it wasn't on the street. It was like right next to my house. (laughs) Somebody had broken in. That night, as we're going to bed, maybe it was the wind, but the side door of our house pushed in twice. Somebody trying to get in? I don't know. I stayed in bed. (laughs) Because it probably was the wind. But the point is, what security, what protection, what wisdom am I giving to even my small lot? And God provides his wisdom, his protection, his strength, his security over the universe. And that Lord is your, your shepherd. And because he's your shepherd, you can say, I shall not want. One of the most stunning verses in scripture is Philippians 4, 11 through 13. This is what I was talking about people thinking of wrongly. But read it with me. It says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13 used to be on Tim Tebow's face. People use it all the time, athletically. Because if you just pull it out and you don't read what it's talking about, you're saying to yourself, yeah, yeah, I can dunk on that guy because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, maybe. You do a lot of leg lifts, he gets out of the way. Yeah, maybe you can dunk on that guy. But it won't be because of Philippians 4.13. What Philippians 4.13 is talking about is about having a contentment, a provision that's untouched by your circumstances. I can abound when I have nothing. I can be secure in my worship when I have everything. Which one's more difficult? If you've been a Christian for any length of time, it's much easier to be faithful in a hospital room than on the golf course. 
Which one is God more present in your mind? And yet God is saying that, uh, Paul is saying, God is saying through the Apostle Paul, that he has the ability to be content because his contentment rests on something outside of his circumstances. So here you have the psalmist who's able to say that he shall not want because the Lord is his shepherd. David's alluding to the fact that school ended this week. I went to go pick up Caroline on Thursday. It was her last day of school. Uh, it was last day of first grade. My oldest just finished first grade. And uh, she was real sad about it, which is a little nerdy, but sweet, you know. She was sad that she's going to miss Miss LaFleur and miss her school stuff. And she's very competitive about a little reading program they have on the Internet. And she's doing real well at it. She wanted to keep going. And Sorry, you got to take a break for the summer. Um, so I was talking to one of the other parents, and she comes out, last day of kindergarten, half day, I picked her up so that we could go and celebrate as a family, and she just runs to me, I didn't see her coming, runs to me and jumps, whew, to try and just grab me, and I didn't see her coming, so she just, you know, I'm <laughs> bigger fella, it didn't, I didn't, I mean, I felt it, but then she just, whew, you know, laid out like a turtle. <laughs> on her backpack and uh and just immediately started weeping oh i felt so bad i felt so bad so i picked her up i'm holding her i was like okay what hurts did you land on your bottom did you land on your elbow and she was sad because first grade was over really she did the same thing we went to disneyland she had this great day great next day all the kids did and then as we're leaving that that very last moment and they are just bone tired because it wears them out and she just started to weep What's wrong? Because we're, we're done with Disneyland. It's over. It's gone. Had this wonderful thing. Highest moment I'll ever have, and now it's over. First grader, right? From her perspective, Disneyland. But we're able to speak to her and comfort her. I'm holding her and walking back to the Jeep as she's crying from first grade. And I'll say, yeah, baby, the good things, they're going to end. But the best things never do. <laughs> Caroline, tell me some of the best things. And we've coached her. I mean, she didn't just come up with this, right? It's catechistic or whatever. I asked her a question. She responded, what are some of the best things? And she starts talking about the love of Jesus. That's not going to go away. Contentment. I shall not want. It continues, and I can see that I need to go more quickly. But in verse 2, it talks about how he's going to lead us by green pastures, food, sustenance. Think of the pictures of food that we have throughout the text in Scripture. Not only is it talking about just the food that you need, it's talking about the food that your souls need. Talking about the food of God's Word. You think about Jesus after a long day of ministry, and they're saying, we've got to get you something to eat. He said, I have food you know not of. What's he talking about? What's he talking about? Is he talking about he had a, a hidden stash of bread that Judas didn't know about? He's talking about the word of God. Doing the will of him who sent him. Sustenance. Talks about still waters. Talks about peace. Yesterday we went down to uh, Provo Canyon to go see uh, Bridal Veil Falls. Josh turned us on to that one. And the Provo River was really high right now. They had a bunch of people that were going to whitewater raft down it and uh, kayak down it. And the water was just so fast, and my children were getting sort of close to it. Can I tell you how afraid I was? Because at one moment, you just, oh, it's a creek, it's a river, whatever. It's just right there. It's not that long. It's not that broad. But it is high, and it's fast moving. And if my kids got in it, 
They just are gone. I mean, I could jump in after them, but they're bouncing off of rocks and they're headed to Provo, right? But that's not what this is talking about. He's going to lead us by still waters. These waters that you can drink in, that you can float on, that you can play in. God giving us what we need. Settling us down to peace. I think that's what still waters is alluding to. Think about that moment at the end of that day, that long day when you sit on your couch and your kids are down. Think about that moment, end of like day two of vacation. When you've unwound just a little bit and it's starting, vacation is starting to really soak in. That moment when you grab the hand of that loved one and you feel it, right? What is this feeling? What is this happiness that's also very low energy? This, this, this peace. That's what God's on, got on offer for us at all times. Verse 3, he restores my soul. This shepherd provides for us healing. Not enough just to take care of you. You got to go back. You got to start to heal. I love this uh, quote from C.S. Lewis. We talk about him too much, so you can tell me if it's too much. Maybe we'll curb it. Maybe I'll double down. But if you, if you have not heard this one before, it says, Imagine yourself as a living house, and God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand why he's doing it. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. There's healing. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Now, I keep tipping my cards because this is getting at what we're going to say this psalm really talks about. Same thing with Philippians 4. It's not just your comfort, but he will heal you. When you talk about becoming a Christian, we talk about being indwelled by the Holy Spirit, meaning that God puts his very presence in you. And that presence is not content to just let you go. That presence is now indwelling and changing, healing. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This shepherd is going to give your life purpose. We talk about this a lot as we talked about identity. We wrote a little booklet that we gave out on Easter. It's in all the guest bags. So if you get that little guest bag, one of those chapters is just on the concept of purpose. David quoted from Ecclesiastes. The scriptures give us very clear argument, very clear evidence of a creator from our need for purpose. And yet, the only way we can really get that purpose is from God. The shepherd gives us that purpose. But look at where he's doing it. In the valley of the shadow of death. Because if you're like me, you're listening to all of these wonderful things being promised by David in the first couple of verses. And there's part of you, if you're engaged with me, that's saying, that's unrealistic. That's not what I feel in my relationship from God. It's not what I've come to expect from Him. If He was such a shepherd, if He was such a protector, 
Then where was he when marriage? Dot dot dot. Where was he when my father? Dot dot dot. Where was he when my children? When my job? When my health? When my dot dot dot? <laughs> you say he's good. You say he's a protector. Where was he in 2007 when? Okay, yes. But that's where I think that most of us have missed the real point of Psalm 23. Because you have to read carefully. The whole thing's put together there. It does not just say that he's your shepherd. It says, he is your shepherd in the valley of the shadow of death. He puts a a table together. He anoints your head with oil. He fills your cup up so that the Diet Coke is just flowing out over your fingers. In the presence of your enemies. Enemies. Where is this psalm taking place? This psalm is taking place as peace in a storm. We referenced it last week. Let's reference it again in Mark 4 where Jesus has peace in a storm. And so much so that he could sleep. It says in Mark 4, 37 to 40. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. So the boat was already filling, but Jesus was asleep in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Stop it, peace, be still. And the wind ceased. There was a great calm. And he says to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Read verse 4 of Psalm uh, 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Read it backwards. If you are with me, I don't fear any evil. Even the evil of death. Because you're with me. If you're with me. Do you understand? And I hope there's a little bit of awareness on your part here. That's exactly the message of the gospel. Put your Bible together. God knew from the beginning what he was going to do for us. He has gone into death with us. So that as we... Face death, we can fear no evil. There's a point of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, being God, came to be among us and then descended, died, so that you and I can see death as a shadow to be passed through. Christianity, we talk about having a resurrection ethic. Having a heavenly perspective. This world is not the way that it's supposed to be. It's not. Of course it doesn't feel like peace. When you just look out into the world. And of course your circumstances. If your joy rests on your circumstances. It will never be complete. It will either be gone because your circumstances are terrible. Or it will be precarious. Because your circumstances are good, but that only rests on how hard you're going to work and how well the winds blow in the market. 
No, you can't enjoy that kind of joy. You're always going to be anxious, always trying to make sure that it's okay, that it's filled, that it's right, that it's perfect. And yet, even in the storm, Jesus sleeps. Why can't we? Jesus knew, he knew that Christianity is not a present, uh, a promise of absences. That's what most of us want from God. We don't really want Him. We just want Him to take care of some of this stuff. And so we're looking for Christianity to just promise that God will take away absences. He'll just take away the things that cause fear. He'll just take away the circumstances that are going to bring up anxiety. That He'll just take away our hunger and just take away our boredom. Honestly, I preach on hunger like some of you don't have food. You're good. It's more about purposelessness, ennui, boredom. That he would just take those things away, take away our poverty. That's what most of us are just looking to God for. But that's never what he's promised. He's promised himself. And the great premise of Christianity is not absence of suffering, but peace in the midst of suffering. That turn. That little addition, that little correction must be made. If it's not made by you and by me, then we will become useless. (laughs) I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'm only preaching through the Psalms because I want to get you ready to go and do. Uh, Preaching in the Psalms is not just us enjoying the beauty and the poetry of it. It's taking those things for the purpose that they've been given to us. See, David wrote this psalm after being anointed by oil from Samuel the prophet, knowing that he would be king. He probably wrote this psalm later in his life, but he's he's writing this psalm looking back over and remembering he got anointed by oil by Samuel the prophet, and then not long after had to go fight a giant. That sounds like shepherd life, right? Oh, I'm just a sheep being cared for by this shepherd. Okay, sheep. Watch out for the giant you got to kill. What? Ah. And then, not long after that, Saul, the guy who's the current king, is throwing spears at him. And then, not long after that, Saul, the current king, has got him exiled. And he's running around in caves. So many of the Psalms are filled with the tears of David. Because the promise of Christianity is not an absence of fear, an absence of difficulty or pain or suffering. But the presence of peace. As you endure. Dave is not the only example. Paul preaches to us in 2 Timothy 1.10. Talking to us about Christ's grace towards us. That God's own purpose and grace has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. But if you rewind two verses back. We can all agree with that part. We're all like, yeah, 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 abolish death. Take away this thing that scares me. But if you rewind two verses back, verse 8 says, Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Oh, no, that's not why we're here. Share in suffering. Paul is writing 2 Timothy from a prison cell. And he's inviting his hearers to endure suffering. 
Do you understand why that makes Christianity so much more powerful? So much more useful? And why it makes most of our Christianity sort of pathetic? I put me in that boat too. We're all here together. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm saying, look at what the scripture says God has given you. And then ask yourself if your life preaches that message. God has given you a hope that will sustain even through your suffering. Are you then embracing suffering for the purpose of the kingdom? Psalm 23 has got it on every verse. He's your shepherd. He's going to care for you. Green pastures, still waters. And he's going to lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He will get glory, not just for being Santa Claus. He will get glory for being your redeemer. Christianity spread like wildfire through ancient Rome because of how the Christians died well. You had to watch it and say to yourself, man, there must be something in what they're saying because they are not scared of even death. And of course they weren't. The message of the gospel is that Jesus, much more than David or Paul, Jesus came to suffer for us. He came to die and punch a hole through death. Death that was heretofore undefeated. So that for you and for me, death becomes a valley and a shadow that we pass through to life. Does your life preach that? If you really knew that. If you really knew that. I've asked this question in my community group before. We said, okay, what would you do for the kingdom of God if you knew it would not fail? If you knew it would succeed? Whatever your picture is, if you're just dreaming and you knew it would work, what would you do? I'd go to Sri Lanka and I'd open up 35 orphanages. Amen, fantastic. That, nobody said that. But that's like an idea of what you could say. Most people are like, ah, let me think on that. <laughs> All right, great. I'm glad you had that ready to go. Uh, no, if though you knew it would succeed, What would you do for the kingdom? Ask yourself that. And then understand that Christianity has never promised that it will, certainly not in the way that you see it. What God has promised instead is that whether it goes exactly like you want it to or whether whether it burns to the ground, He will set a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Set a feast before you in the presence of your enemies. Anoint your head with oil. Pour a drink for you and pour so much that it just overflows because there is so much. Now, Psalm 23, are you ready to go and to serve? Not just the kids area. That's fun stuff. The big lifetime-like callings that God may put on you. Are you ready for that? Maybe it's to stay here at Hope Church. Fantastic. Praise God. That's, I think, my calling. Just keep pounding away here at Hope. 
But is your calling, is your perspective such that you are willing to go and to suffer because you know that in, in plenty or in want, I shall not want. In the presence of green pastures and still waters or valley of shadow of death and enemies, I've got a table set before me. And I can say, verse 6, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life because I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the kind of iron backbone that is your inheritance in Christ. Is it what you have? If not, that's not on you. That's on your understanding of the gospel. The enemy is always trying to get you to believe a lie. That's not on you. You're not supposed to just be better, be stronger, be more faithful. No, 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 no. Don't miss it. It's not dependent on you. This is God's gift to you through Christ. Have you received it? When Jesus got up and looked at those guys that were so scared of the storm when he was asleep, he didn't say, why didn't you try to call the storm to shut up? He didn't. He said, where is your faith? Brothers and sisters, where is your faith? New person who's here this morning, you're just investigating Christianity. This is what's on offer to you through faith. The calling today is not to do more or be better. The calling today is to trust. To trust. First thing Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark. Repent and believe. Kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the Gospel. And we just want to help you take that next step towards that belief. I understand it's lengthy, I understand it's difficult, I understand there's lots of obstacles. Help us help you. But understand, this is where we want you to be. By God's grace, we want you to be able to sing that verse 6, that you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we are awed by the scripture that you've given us. We're awed that you would declare yourself to be our shepherd and then offer to sinful rebels your name, your presence, your protection, your love, ultimately your son, so that we could be with you, dwell in your house forever. Father, please, please give us faith to hold these things to know them, to see them, so that we do have those backbones of iron. We can be like David or Paul or Christ, wearing it out in the years that you've given us until you bring us home. We love you, sir. We pray these things desperately in need. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.